tonight, please, to Acts chapter number 4. As you know, the last couple of lessons that we've had on Wednesday evening has had to do with uh, having the mind of Christ, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, and we don't stand a chance of living like Christ and, unless we think like Christ. So that's why we have to have our minds saturated with the Word of God, because, you know, we... Uh, we find out what he thinks about what he said, and we spent one entire message on that. And then uh, a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a couple of months ago now, I preached a message from Acts chapter 2 and verse number 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. Think about that. Praising God and having favor with all of the people. And I spent quite a bit of time talking about how unusual, you know, that seems, having favor with all of the people. If it had said, you know, and, and they had favor with the uh, Spirit-filled believers, uh, I would have understood that. But it said all of the people, and, and at that moment, and it didn't last because when we start chapter 4, we see persecution starting. And I said back then during the message that this was a window of time wherein what the people saw in that community was so very impressive that it gave the saints favor with all of the people. Remember, we talked about the fact that 3,000 were saved. Well, we come to chapter 4, and guess what? 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children, but at least 5,000 men are saved back up here in verse number 4. And but we could go on and on because it, later on it talks about the fact that they were multiplied. In other words, stop counting, started multiplying. So many people were being saved. So we have no idea as to what great extent the church was growing. But as you can see, it's by the thousands. I mean, they have the attention of the people. And naturally, as you might guess, well, persecution starts because up jumps the devil when god starts blessing the devil's going to start fighting but there's a verse here that i want you to notice tonight that is that goes along with both of those subjects that we've been talking about that's so very important verse number 13 says now when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Think about that. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I suspect we've all heard someone say, well, I'm not trying to impress anyone. Or, or maybe they've said... I don't care what, what anybody thinks about me. 
Others have said, well, what you see is what you get. I, it, you know, this is just me like it or not. Now, those phrases all sound cute, I suppose, but really, they're not. In, in fact, I'm not sure those people really believe that whenever they make statements like that. It's amazing what some people will do for attention. You know, and they they think that really, you know, makes an impression on people. Yeah, I'm not trying to impress you. What you see is what you get, you know, blah, 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 and so forth. Well, uh, usually the first thought comes to my mind is, why did you comb your hair this morning? Why did you comb your hair this morning? Uh, well, you know, uh, naturally, we do care to some extent what other people think. And so usually whenever you hear someone say, well, I'm not trying to impress anyone, that's simply, you know, an excuse for either being lazy or undisciplined. You know, they're just, you know, trying to get out of it. And uh, maybe they try to laugh it away, but really it's not any laughing matter. Appearance is of great importance. I, I've never enjoyed wearing a tie. Never. I'll never forget whenever I first got saved, and of course, nearly everybody wore ties, and uh, so I figured, well, that's what I ought to do, but I didn't know how to tie a tie, and I wrapped that around. We had a we had a, a young deacon, uh, a red-headed deacon by the name of Paul Davis that later moved away, become a cop up in Minnesota, and died. But Paul and I become really good friends, and he's the first one to teach me how to tie a tie, a Windsor knot. And uh, he's the one I refer to whenever I say, you know, you couldn't backslide there if you wanted to because somebody would be at the door. And in my case, it would have been Paul. He would have showed up and been nagging at me. I mean, he he's one of those like a bulldog that just, you know, wouldn't let go. But, but the point is, I, I didn't enjoy... Wearing a tie, I really never have. And uh, and yet, I think it's important that sometimes I do. Now, you know, normally, if it wasn't so hot, you know, I, in fact, before I left, I decided, well, do I wear... Do I wear a sports coat? Do I wear my vest? Or, or do I just, you know, wear a shirt, you know? And uh, so I said, well, I'll wear a vest, but it's too hot in here for that. So if my appearance offends you, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to impress anybody. No, 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 no. Oh, well, you know, right or wrong, let's all face it. People do judge us by what they see, don't they? We know that's true, and that that makes it a serious matter. And there's one thing for certain: we can't do any harm by looking nice, looking presentable. But you can do a lot of harm, you know, if you just don't care how you look and you dress sloppy all of the time. You know, you think about a businessman, for example, and his effort trying to impress his clients. And, uh, you know, if he's willing to do that in order to make an impression on his clients, you know, we as Christians ought to make a good impression on people that we come in contact with, don't you think? Now... There's something a whole lot more important than our personal, physical appearance, however. And and that has to do with what we're talking about here tonight. What is it that you want other people to notice about you? Think about it. Is your appearance, is that the main thing? 
Because there's some folks, you know, that's the big deal. As long as I make a good appearance, that's all I care about. For others, you know, it's their wealth and they want to flaunt their wealth. That's what they want everybody to notice. For others, it's education. You know, they use all of those big words that nobody can understand, but they want you to know that they've got a doctorate degree and so on and so forth. And so they want you to notice that and they go to great length to make sure that you do. It might be with some, they want you to notice their, their talent. And, uh, you know, whether it has to do with singing or, or playing a musical instrument or preaching or teaching or whatever it is, they, they, they just want to be noticed, you see. But, but listen, there's something a whole lot more important than that. It says here, they took knowledge of them, here it is, that they had been with Jesus. And that ought to be the heart's desire of every single Christian, the impression that we make on other people that they have been with Jesus, we ought to not. I'm not talking about just the apostles now, or the or preachers. I'm talking about whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're a deacon, or regardless of who you are, as a child of God, you should want others to see Christ living in and through you. I, I've heard uh, some of the greatest orators uh, that uh, you know of my generation, at least. R.G. Lee and, and several others that had great oratorical ability. Uh, I've, I've listened to scholars, uh, many of them from other parts of the world, and I've had the privilege of sitting there in the congregation and listening to them and speaking with them and so forth. But the greatest sermons that I've ever heard were not delivered by the most eloquent preachers uh, but rather by people, preachers that that beyond any doubt were obviously living in close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest singers are not always those with the greatest voice. You know, so many times we think, and my, we think of you know a lot of the entertainers and what great talent they have, but. But it's not all about hitting the right notes. It's having the right heart. That's what really matters. So I want you to notice three things here tonight about about these Christians, and especially we're talking about Peter and John. That's where the real focus is here. And, and that's significant, by the way, if I can get this thing down. I guess I'm going to have to start... Start out sitting down because, anyway, the first thing that we see here concerning their fellowship with Christ is that it created a new attitude. Peter and John were the same ones that had followed him for three and a half years. Are you with me? Okay, forgive me for going through all of that, but I needed to... Get that done. They were the same men that had followed him for three and a half years, but they were not the same men. You know, same name, same physical appearance, everything. They were the same men, but they were totally different than when they began following them. And, and over and over again, we read in the Gospels concerning the apostles, and I, and I think we could take any one of them and point out something that certainly needed a lot of correction, and that was true of Peter perhaps more than anyone else. Uh, he, he was rash. 
He was conceited. He was headstrong. He was weak. I'm talking about originally now, but all of that has changed. And now he has become like a rock, as his name implies. And uh, we see that, you know, that stability now. We see a man who, as we might say today, that really has his act together. This transformation, this change is the result of him having spent time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we think about the Apostle John. Anybody know what he was known for, what he was called? The Apostle, well, yeah, that I'm going to point that out. But, but he is known through history as the Apostle of Love. And for good reason. Well, my, you read what he wrote, and especially, you know, the book of First John, and it, it is it's just so amazing. But wait a minute, that's not what he was by nature. That's not what he was when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. He and James were the sons of thunder, as she just pointed out. Man, they were bold and arrogant and cocky and proud and outspoken. They were, you know, John was anything but an apostle of love. But something happened that totally transformed his character. And, and we see the answer to that right here. These men had been with the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. So this is what happens when any of us live in fellowship with Christ. The closer we get, you know, and the more that we have the mind of Christ, the closer that we follow the pattern of Christ, the more that we yield to Christ, the more others can see Christ in us. And so our attitude, which other people take note of, it reveals the degree of our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't separate the two. If a person is out of fellowship with the Lord, it's going to start showing up in, in, sometimes in his countenance. His very countenance is changed as a result of it. Sometimes, you know, it's in his attitude or his actions, but it always shows up some way. And, uh, that ought to be embarrassing to us at times because I, I'm telling you, we all go through those periods of time where that maybe we neglect our time with the Lord and we're not as submissive to the Lord as we ought to be. We're not meditating upon His, upon His greatness and so forth. And so all of a sudden our, our, um, uh, our attitude begins to erode. You know, uh, they talk about uh, perishing skills. That could be one of many things. It could be uh, taking target practice, shooting a gun, for example. That's a perishing skill. That's why those that are really involved in it practice all of the time, because if you don't, you're going to lose it. Well, you know, whenever it comes to this matter of being in fellowship with Christ, I'm just saying that if we're not, it always shows up. It might be in bickering between a man and a woman. It might be your attitude at work or at church or wherever. But eventually, it's going to affect you. It's just like, you know, you try not eating for a couple of weeks. It's going to, make it, it's going to affect you physically, right? And whenever we cease to feed upon the Word of God and focus upon the Son of God, when that happens, all of a sudden, it has an adverse effect upon us. So, the fact that they had been with Jesus created a new attitude. Secondly, it conquered their weaknesses. 
Now, now, in fact, I could say it compensated for them, but but however you want to look at it, that's what happened. Remember, th- these men had been simple fishermen. You know, they didn't have any formal education like, you know, those in the sophisticated uh, class of society, and, and that was obvious to everyone. W- one of the most difficult things for me when I started preaching was, I know I... I, 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 I always pray there's not an English teacher there because I mispronounce words right and left. I still do to this time. And, you know, Bev tries to coach me and bless her heart. She tries to help. But it's kind of like an old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I can sit down for an hour before the service and go over the proper pronunciation of a word over and over and over again. And soon as I get up there and start preaching, I'm going to blow it. And that, boy, that eat away at me whenever I started. And uh, because, you know, I, I, I do. I, I want to, you know, present the Word of God in the very best possible way. But, you know, we all have our weaknesses. That's what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Now, this is the point, And that is that our fellowship with Christ can overcome a lot of weaknesses, such as maybe our ability. As I was talking about, you know, the, uh, the best singer or, or best teacher, or whatever the case might be. And uh, let's face it, you know, maybe we don't have the most pleasing, charming personality in the world, like some people. It might be you don't have a photographic memory. Uh, I, I certainly don't anyway. But that's okay. Uh, you might not have great musical talent, but that's all right. That doesn't mean that God can't use you. God can use anybody that spends quality time with Him. Those that have been with Jesus became like the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it, it is so amazing what God can do with some folks, you know, and, and, and we see that. You and I both can think of somebody that we look at them and we listen to them and we think to ourselves, there's no earthly reason why they ought to be a success at what they do. No, there's no explanation for it but God. I mean, that's it. That's the only explanation. And so regardless of what you feel might be a weakness or a handicap, a lack of ability, whatever you want to call it, I'm telling you what, if you live in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the time you spend with Him will never be in vain because walking with God is going to repay you in a thousand different ways. Because it, look, it not only, it not only does something to you by way of giving you joy and peace and enabling you to love others that normally you couldn't love, it, it totally changes you, but it also repays itself in the effect that it has on other people. And boy, listen, if we don't have any effect on other people, what are we doing here? We'd all be better off in heaven, right? To die is gain. Uh, No reason to be here unless we're having an effect. And this is the third thing I want to mention, the fact that it caught the attention of others. They they were amazed. They looked at them at their boldness, you know, and, and, and their wisdom, and they thought, where did these guys come from? 
they, they've been with Jesus. you got to give these folks some credit. They evidently knew something about Jesus, right? I mean, they had heard, you know, about His wisdom. Never a man spake like this man. They heard something about the greatness of His love for other people and how He went about doing good and ministering to others. They had heard all of these things. Some of them had experienced those things. And now they look at these these two fishermen and say, boy, they must have been with Jesus. There's no other explanation. And they are amazed at their boldness and their wisdom. Now, keep in mind that they certainly did not agree with them in regards to all the religious matters. You know, if you'd been having, let's say, a debate, and uh, debate the great doctrines of the Bible, uh, most of those people there that this is talking about, the people there in the city, some of which opposed them, those people would not have been anywhere near in agreement with uh, with Peter and with John. But they could not deny the fact that they identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that's crucial to us being able to lead others to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciated what Brother Hired said in regards to the prayer that God would help us you know, take advantage of opportunities and witness to other people this week. And and uh, that, that ought to be a, a habit. You know, just like there's bad habits, there's good habits. And sometimes, you know, we get in a rut and we fail to take advantage of those opportunities like we should. And if we're going to reach others, then uh, we've got to make an impression that they can see Christ in and through us. And our greatest hindrance is a lack of Christian character. And, you know, we don't, we don't want to admit that, but, but listen, if we'll just stop and think for, for five seconds, I think we would all agree, way. I don't, you know, I, I've improved a lot since I was saved. I've changed a lot. God has changed me a lot. But wow, I still got a long, long way to go. And boy, we all do. Because there's not one Christian anywhere on this earth that can say, you know, I have finally arrived. I've reached that status in my Christian life that I am so spiritual, I am so wise, I am so sinless, you know, that I'm a whole lot more like Jesus than anybody else. None, none of us ever get there. And that's why I keep using the definition for backsliding as having reference to when we cease growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be able to stand up tonight and quote more verses, let's say, than everybody else here put together. Man, I mean, you've got it down. You're like a parrot. You can just go through those verses one after another and recite entire books of the Bible. And a great many other good things might be said about you tonight. But you mark it down, the very minute that you stop growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, you're backslidden because God expects us to make progress, spiritual progress in this life as long as we're here because as long as we're here, we're never going to attain the fullness of the likeness of Christ. But although we do not reach the fullness of His likeness, surely we ought to live in such a way that others can see something of His likeness 
in our life. And that ought to be our goal. That ought to be our desire. You remember whenever Paul was talking to the church at Corinth and, and, and he mentions to them that they were living epistles, that is, living letters. And it's kind of like that old saying, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. They'll never pick up the Bible, read. They don't care about the Bible. But, boy, they're reading your life. They're watching you every step of the way, your attitude, the things you say and the things that you do. And, and, and it's so important if we're going to reach others for Christ, they've got to see Christ living in and through us. Now, we're not going to reach everybody. We know that. I mean, you know, that's pretty clear. Jesus couldn't reach everybody. He went back to Nazareth and it says he could do no, no wonderful, mighty works there. I mean, uh, he wasn't successful in that sense everywhere. So we're not going to win everybody, but we're not going to win anybody unless they see something of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, unless they see that we have been with Christ. We think about Saul of Tarsus, for example. Well, we think mainly of him as Paul, the great apostle, and for good reason. I'm sure that on many occasions I've said that the greatest person since Christ was probably the apostle Paul. I suspect that's true. I, you know, I'm not the judge of greatness. God is. But at least in my mind, I don't know anybody else that measures up to him. But boy, listen, uh, it wasn't always that way, was it? You know, he originally was known of Saul of Tarsus, and he hated Christians. He went about persecuting them, committing them to prison, and something happened Something happened that day concerning his experience with Stephen. And something about Stephen, you know, caused him to realize that he was missing something. And I'll tell you exactly what it was. He saw Christ in Stephen. In that spirit, I think about Stephen there, and in my mind's eye, I can see the rocks falling down as they're stoning him to death. And he says, I see Jesus. How many of you heard that old song? I see Jesus sitting on the Father's right hand. I see Jesus just over in the glory land. Well, that day, Stephen saw Jesus. And Saul of Tarsus saw Stephen and saw Jesus in him. Stephen didn't retaliate. He didn't curse them out. He didn't pick up the stones. He didn't run and try to escape. And, and, and think about how that, how amazing it is that God used something like that. And what, what somebody would say, well, this got to be the worst day of Stephen's life. Well, that's according to how you look at it. In reality, it was the greatest day of his life. Because that was the day the Lord took him to heaven. But it was great for another reason. It was the day that that God, I think, used to bring conviction to Saul of Tarsus that eventually that he received Christ as his Savior. I don't know if you ever read the, the biography of David Livingston, the great famous missionary, but, but you ought to. And what a great story that is. And, 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 and Stanley, you'll remember that Stanley went over there basically to, to report on what was going on with Livingston. And he goes over there, 
and has a difficult time finding him and, and eventually does, follows him around everywhere he goes and, and finally came to know Christ as his Savior. And, and he tells the story, you know, and, and lays it all out. It wasn't the eloquence of the preaching. It, it wasn't the clearness of the doctrine or anything else. But he describes it as watching that old man going from village to village and place to place and watching him day in, day out, day in, day out, watching him. And, and Stanley said, I, and, and I eventually become a Christian. And you see, God was using Livingston. Let me tell you, that ought to make all of us stop and think, what do other people see when they look at us? I'm not talking about whether you got a you know a blue shirt on or yeah I noticed you didn't comb your hair today I know I'm talking about not just what they see but who do they see in us and certainly they ought to see something of Christ you say well preacher I'm confused how how can they see Christ through us well I'm glad you asked because I think the Bible gives us the answer there in Galatians chapter five where Paul talks about but the fruit of the Spirit, that is the product of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces. And, he, and the Spirit produces these things, according to 2 Corinthians 3.18, produces these things as we focus on Christ, as we look unto Jesus, notice, and then we're filled with the Spirit, we're yielded to Him, and the fruit of the Spirit. And He gives a list of nine graces, and it starts out with what? Love. How could you start with anything better? Love, joy, and peace, and it ends up with what? Self-control. Self-control. Now, when others watch us, whether it's on the job, wherever it is, uh, what is it that most of the time gets their attention adversely in other words they see something negative something wrong something that you know something that is not christ-like well it's most of the time it's the lack of control in our life it's you know i'll never forget i i got saved and surrendered to preach two months later and started preaching there in the rescue mission and anywhere i could and uh we had another young fellow by the name of David Smith that surrendered to preach uh, maybe uh, maybe a year after after I did, and uh, I'll never forget we had a church softball team back then, and that was the hook they got to get me going to church anyway, and uh, we had a softball game and uh, and. Uh, so I was I was going to pitch. I wasn't really a softball pitcher. I played short and third and stuff like that, but I could throw real hard. So the manager happened to be the pastor. That's really convenient, isn't it? How do you argue with him? And so anyway, I walked two or three or four guys, I don't know, and he finally he finally come over and he said, Brother Stone, he said, I'm going to take you out and put so-and-so in. And, and, and I, I didn't like it, and I don't stomp, throwed my glove over on the bench or something like that. And after the game, I was walking to the car, and here come somebody running up behind me, and it's David. 
he's bawling like a baby. And I said, what in the world is wrong? And, and boy, he just spilled his guts. He said, I don't know. He said, uh, he, he said, uh, you don't have any idea how, how much I admire you and appreciate you and look up to you as an example. And he said, you don't have any idea how much you hurt me and disappointed me tonight. Man, I'm telling you what, I just wanted to melt in the ground. Now, I was so embarrassed, but he was exactly right. And, and, and look, folks, when, when others don't see Christ in us, it's for a reason. It's, you know, it, it, because it ought to be obvious that we have love, that we have joy, that we have peace, whatever it is. But it ought to be so obvious to others that even though they don't agree with what we, with what we teach, what we say, what we believe, that they have to confess, boy, you know, I'll tell you one thing. I see something of the Lord in them, you know. I don't agree with them in a lot of ways, but man, you know, they're, they're okay. And, and if we can make that kind of impression, and it ought to start in the home, make that kind of an impression on our children and, and on our relatives and friends and neighbors, there's, there's no limit to what God can do. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost, and here 5,000 are saved, and then it snowballs. I mean, it goes beyond 25,000 without a doubt. And that was in Jerusalem. You would have never dreamed something like that would have happened there, would you? It happened because others could tell they had been with Jesus. And, 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 and there's, look, there's no limit to what God can do here. And, and, and I realize and, and hear preachers all the time saying, well, you know, you can't just really preach against sin today. You can't insist on using the King James Version of the Bible. You can't take a stand on all of these issues and grow a church. If you're going to grow a church in this day and age that we live in, you know, you got to have all kinds of gimmicks and Bolo the Clown and Zulu the Gorilla and all of this stuff. You, well... You can get a lot of people there, but that don't mean you're growing a church. And I'm telling you that there's no limit to what God can do. And, and, and it's not up to us to measure what God does. You'll remember there in chapter 2 it says, And the Lord added to the church. It's the Lord added to the church. I, I, you know, I look back over the years and I think of a time or two that I think I might have added to the church and never worked out. You know, it's kind of like some of those, you you know, you'd rather see them leaving than you did when they were coming and because they create problems. But, boy, when the Lord adds to the church, then you got somebody that you need. Amen? And and uh, and God will use them. I, I could talking about a lot of you tonight, and I... With some of you, I can just remember the day that you, you're united with the church, and I can remember it wasn't it wasn't no time till the Lord made it clear to me, you know, boy, God put them here on purpose, or God put him or her here on purpose for a reason. And God has a purpose for all of us, but let us leave here tonight determined that with the grace of God, we want to live in a way that others will take note of the fact that we've been with Jesus. Amen. All right, any final word before we leave? Pray for all of those who are out of town. We still got people on, a bunch of people on vacation and, and uh, 
pray that they'll get back safely and all of those that are sick. All right.